everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, and alongside me, as always, fellow Pensburg contributor and co-host of the Pensburg Podcast, Robbie Noggle. Robbie, uh, as we record this on the 22nd of December, we're hours away from Christmas Eve and Christmas. How are you doing? Are you ready for another round of... Uh, another round of holiday get-togethers and gift gift exchanges and all that sort of fun stuff. Oh, as ever, Garrett, I am definitely ready and uh, can't come soon enough. Um, it's been uh, oh, what about four weeks since Thanksgiving now, so uh, it'll be nice to get back in the saddle and uh, kind of wrap up this holiday season. But of course, we have um, well, as we record this, little bit of uh, uh, work left to do with the Penguins, but. Yeah, I'm ready for holidays. I'm guessing you are as well. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And as a reminder to everyone listening, there will be no Pensburg podcast next week. This will be the final Pensburg podcast of 2022, and we will return. The next Pensburg podcast will premiere on Friday, January 6th. So uh, we'll take a little bit of holiday break next week. We'll come back and start off 2023 with a bang. And Robbie, this final podcast is chock full of stuff to talk about. So we'll dive right into it and and talk about a scenario that you're going to play out. I'm going to give you. In this scenario, you're going to be general manager Ron Hextall. You run the team. The Pittsburgh Penguins have finally turned their season around after that big seven-game losing streak. Uh, they look like they're real contenders in the Metropolitan Division right now. They look like they want to compete for another championship. The the top six is firing on all cylinders. Uh, you know, Jake Gensel, Sidney Crosby, Ricard Raquel, Genny Malkin, Brian Rust, and Jason Zucker when healthy. That top six can can win you a championship. I have no doubts about that. The third line is what is drawing the ire of most Penguins Penguins fans right now, and specifically. Uh, if you want to dig even deeper, Jeff Carter is is starting. Not I don't want to say, I don't want to use the word scapegoat, but it's becoming clear that he may be one of the Penguins' bigger, weaker links, or maybe even the weakest link. If you want to make that argument, he might be their weakest link in that forward group. Some people say that this team needs to, if, if they can keep Teddy Bluger on that fourth line, if they can find a way to ship Jeff Carter out or even put Jeff Carter on the wing and bring in a, a capable center who's able to drive play and maybe has a little bit more mobility than 37-year-old Jeff Carter, that this team would be complete and it would be well-rounded and it would be more than capable of competing in long playoff series. So again... I'll throw this scenario out to you. You're Ron Hextall. In this scenario, you're looking at upgrading your your third line and specifically your third line center. What do you do? I, it, obviously, the the options are limited right now given the salary cap situation. Um, but in 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 a semi perfect world, because there's always ways to get around the salary cap in this league. What do you do as general manager? Do you have a roster call-up? Do, do you call up uh, maybe a player like Drew O'Connor? I know he's primarily a winger. He has some center experience. Do you make an internal call-up or potentially move a player like Teddy Bluger up to the third-line center and demote Jeff Carter 
to the fourth line center, or do you have your eyes set on a specific player or players that you think could be brought in via trade? So I know it's a little bit early to get hypothetical, but looking at where the team is, how strongly how strongly they've rebounded, do you keep Carter on the roster? Do you move him to a different position? Do you ship him out in another trade? What can you do, Robbie? If you're the general manager, how do how would you go about fixing the third line? Yeah, this is certainly going to be the um, big question that we uh, face with the Penguins here uh, post-holiday uh, break and into the new year because it's very clear if you look at any of the stats where the issue lies, and that issue lies quite glaringly in the the third line. And so if you're going outside the organization, if you're looking for any good news on this, it's that a bottom six winger is much easier to acquire and much cheaper to acquire than a top six, a top six forward. Again, it doesn't necessarily – you're thinking that it's going to be a center, but it doesn't have to be a center because there are maybe some internal options um, you could look at. But we're going to go with the idea that they look for a center. The big issues, as we've talked about with the Penguins making trades, is salary cap space and do they have any assets – that are worth anything to any other team in a trade that are not draft picks. And it's it's really going to be tough for the Penguins to make a move with the pieces they have without giving up draft picks. So if you're Ron Hextall, you have to you have to want you have to tell you ask yourself is the cup worth the draft picks and I think any fan in the end would say yes, giving up a draft pick would be worth winning a Stanley Cup, or at least taking a strong run in a Stanley Cup. Obviously, no guarantees, even if you fix the third line, that the Penguins will be the odds-on favorite. There's a lot of good hockey teams out there. Um, as we said, Carolina, uh, a team the Penguins have lost to twice this year. Uh, a lot of really good teams out there, uh, as we've seen. So, uh, I, I think, I just don't like the options that are in the system right now. Not that it's not worth trying because again, the trade deadline is still two months away. Um, I think you try in, in the system first to see what you can get. And then you go from there because um, the cheapest way to do it is going to be in the system. You don't have to give anything up. The only problem is, are the pieces there uh, to make it possible? And I'm not sure that they are. Uh, Drew O'Connor, who will play against Carolina. Um, I think he's an option to look at. Uh, he has been strong uh, on his very limited uh, time in the NHL, but uh, at some point he has to prove that he can take that step to be a more consistent uh, NHL player. I don't like breaking up the fourth line, which would involve uh, moving Teddy Bluger up the lineup uh, just because that fourth line has been so strong. And if it just it feels like that to make the best odds of improving that third line, that black hole in the lineup will be to uh, go outside uh, the franchise and who's out there that can be affordable and worth making a trade for. Obviously you look at a name like um, there's been some names thrown out there, 
but the problem is, are they affordable? Can the Penguins make the trade? And the other team wants to have to have to trade them too. Just because somebody's name is mentioned in a rumor doesn't mean that their current team is actively shopping them. So uh, a lot of factors go into this. It just really depends on um, do you have the assets to make the deal? Does the team want to make the deal? Um, so it's it's a very um, frustrating situation to be in, especially when it's a situation of your own making. Uh, I think that that has been well discussed, and I believe there's even a question in this week's uh, mailbag about a team that um, – or a player that has left the team that um, – uh, yeah, I see – yeah, um, a player that has left the team that you wish could still be there, and there's a name that pops up in – in my mind immediately that if that player were still on the team, that would be an immense help and would be a crucial part uh, to fixing the issue that is currently uh, ailing the Penguins. And it was a situation of the Penguins own making back in the expansion draft with the Seattle Kraken. But how they fix it now is, I, I mean, I'm glad I'm not the general manager because you have to weigh the options. If you think the if you think the mix is available in the franchise in the system, then great. But if it's not, and I personally do not believe that it is, you're gonna have to pony up, make a move, and uh, bring someone in because it's quite clear at this point that it's not working with Jeff Carter at center on the third line. Um, it's very clear that they are the black hole uh, in this lineup right now. And it's the onus is on Ron Hextall in that front office uh, to fix it and help the Penguins uh, work toward another Stanley Cup. And I, I don't much like having these kinds of conversations this early in the season. Uh, we're nowhere near the trading deadline. Trades can be made whenever, uh, you know, that much is obvious. Uh, you know, the, the Penguins in theory, could have a new third-line center uh, two weeks from now. You know, th that's just, you know, the, the nature of the beast and how the business operates. I, I typically try to stay away from these discussions until we get closer to trade deadline time because so many names are thrown out there and rumors, and it's just that. They're just rumors. They might not carry any substance at all. And, you know, you, you tend to get more concrete information about who's probably going to be traded by trade deadline time. But like you said, Robbie, this is probably going to be the biggest talking point for this team as we enter 2023 and as we get closer to that trade deadline uh, in the back half of the season. So I thought it was it was going to be interesting to have this conversation now because it's no secret to, to some extent. Jeff Carter has been... I don't, I don't know if struggling is the right word. He's... He's not the same player that he was when he arrived here. And at the same time, you have to look at it as he's 37 years old. Maybe if maybe we'd be having a different tone of this conversation if he wasn't making as much money. If he was making half of what he makes right now, maybe it's not that big of a deal because I think one and a half million dollars is different from three million or a little over three million, whatever it is he makes right now. So it's a little bit of a different conversation if they would have, uh, you know, 
allocated their salary cap uh, dollars uh, a little bit better, but that's neither here nor there. You can't change that now. But I do think that this is going to be something that we're going to watch uh, after the after the ball drops in 2023 enters uh, enters the mind and we we get closer to the trading deadline and in, in uh, it's probably early or mid March. But yeah, I think fixing the third line because, like you said. Dismantling the fourth line, I don't know if I w- I'd want to do that yet. If there's uh, if there's an avenue the Penguins can explore to try and either move Carter to wing, just get Carter out of that center position might do uh, might fix everything for the Penguins. And like I said, try and make them as much of a complete team as they can be. But I have no doubt this is going to be a discussion we're going to have at least one other time as we get closer to the trade deadline in the back half of the season. But that's a conversation for another day. We have an 11-question mailbag uh, to get through. Uh, if you're interested in submitting a question for the mailbag segment, you can do so by following our Pensburg Podcast Twitter account. Every week we will send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in this mailbag segment. Uh, Robbie, as always, you'll get question number one. Question number one comes from Brendan, and it's not really a question, more of a, a prospect update, if you can lend any sort of update to the listeners out there. Uh, Brendan says, not a question, but just a prospect update from the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Isaac Beliveau, the Penguins' 2021 fifth rounder, was on this week's Q, Q League first line of the week. He's having a good season with a point per game as a defenseman, so... Robbie, with that, uh, have you? Uh, we're, we're not prospect uh, analysts, but looking at what uh, Beliveau has done, is there is there something maybe to to keep an eye on, a, an, another name to be mindful of in the Penguins' rather barren farm system? I mean, anytime the Penguins get good news of a prospect, you kind of um, just uh, accept it and. Um, are happy about it because yeah, the 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 system as we've discussed many times on this podcast uh, is not uh, is not great, uh, but that is the cost of winning three Stanley Cups. So I mean, at some point the, the it'll restock. It just might take a few, uh, we'll say lean years uh, to get that to happen. But yeah, it's good to see guys, especially the Penguins have hit on guys in later rounds of drafts that have turned into uh, not only solid NHL players, but great NHL players, Jake Gensel, Brian Rust, uh, even Connor Sherry when he was still in Pittsburgh. Um, all those guys were very, uh, very later draft picks and all turned out um, very good for the Penguins and won cups and um, have kind of kept this run uh, going as long as possible. So, yeah, anything, any good news that we, that we get from – either the junior ranks in Canada or in the United States or the collegiate level in the United States in terms of Penguins prospects uh, is going to be good news uh, in at least uh, keeping that farm st- system uh, stocked as much as possible while this era of Penguins hockey uh, winds on. Question number two from Brian. Uh, what are your thoughts on the current schedule talks of moving to an 84-game season? And on this question, there was a reply by Theodore Belmont, uh, he says that would suck. The NHL already has too many games as is. Cut it down to 65, 70 games and get rid of back-to-backs. Those are brutal to watch as fans. 
So there's a reason why I included Theodore's reply to Brian's original tweet, the original question, because uh, if you haven't seen by now the the NHL, I think it was a board, the Board of Governors meeting. I think that's what it was, where they meet every December down in Florida, and uh, they, they talk about potential rule changes. And and in this particular case, they were talking about maybe expanding the schedule and creating more geographically based rivalries and. Uh, you know, trying to basically ways that the, the league can increase revenue is basically what these discussions come down to. And one of them was increasing the schedule to 84 games from the what is right now an irregular 82 game schedule. And I agree with Theodore's response. I think there's way too many games right now. I would be of the proponent of cutting back the schedule. The unfortunate thing is that these professional sports leagues love money. They need that revenue. So I highly doubt under any circumstance that we'd ever see the NHL or any professional sports league cut back on the amount of games and therefore likely decrease the, the amount of revenue that they take in. Even if it would, like Theodore says, increase the quality of the game, uh, eliminating the back-to-backs, eliminating some of the uh, less than stellar play you get in those specific back-to-back scenarios. Uh, I mean, that would reduce travel, um, travel. Uh, you know, the 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 grueling travel expenses and uh, traveling all across the country and traveling into Canada. You know, that cutting the schedule down would do that, which would be I think would be a help for players and teams alike. Unfortunately, I don't see it happening because money talks. Uh, I do wonder. In the grand scheme of things, going from 82 to 84, at least for me, doesn't make that much of a difference. I don't know if it even would make a difference for the players, adding two extra games. Uh, you know, I think the, the, the one of the bigger concerns is player safety. You know, how are, are the players going to be taken care of? How, uh, how well-rested are they going to be? The back-to-back argument that Theodore brings up to me is, is something that I, I've been... You know, I I talk with hockey fans. I talk with my dad all the time. We talk about this sort of thing. Some back-to-backs are just grueling to watch. Uh, And it's just, you can tell that these guys are exhausted playing high-level professional hockey 24 hours after playing the first game. So I agree with Theodore. That's my mindset. Unfortunately, I think it's more likely that we do see an 84-game schedule maybe within the next two to three years. Again, nothing has been confirmed. Uh, as far as we know, it will be a regular 82-game schedule next season. Uh, but I, I do think that it's probably more likely to see the schedule increase than uh, a cutback of 65 to 70 games. Question number three for you, Robbie, comes from Brian. What are your thoughts on Evgeny Malkin's new tape job? It's interesting, but hey, that nine-game point streak now, uh, he has a nine-game point streak now, so something has to be working. Yeah, this is a very NHL-type story, given how superstitious players are. Malkin, uh, of course, uh, kind of introduced a new tape job to a stick, and thus the point streak commences. And it's a very it's, – it's something you'd expect to hear from Crosby, but every player has – superstitions uh baseball you kind of hear the same thing but yeah so Malkin's no different but hey the way he's playing 
man, whatever tape drop works. I don't care if it's no tape for all, uh, if that's what he wants to go with. But yeah, the tape job, uh, it's definitely a different look. Um, but hey, it's whatever it is, it's working. Uh, he's been filling the net, dishing out the assist. Malkin's been playing really otherworldly as of late and has been a huge part of this Penguins turnaround. Um, it's just great to see because, I mean, he's doing exactly what everybody who wanted him back was yelling all summer when everybody was arguing for. Uh, a replacement uh, to let Malkin walk. So uh, it feels pretty good from our standpoint to, to to see Malkin playing like this because it's always nice to be right. Uh, number four, again from Ryan, uh, been seeing more and more teams drive play from down low and behind the net in the offensive zone. Would you like to see the Pens do more of this? Yeah, I would. And I think given the way the, the game is played, given the amount of equipment goalies have these days, you don't really see a lot of offense come from the, the offensive blue line or defensemen taking shots from the point. A lot of your goals are by nature going to be scored in the slot area between the circles. They're going to be scored in closer proximity to the goaltender. That's just how good the athletes are these days. And that's just what, as a forward or defenseman who's scoring goals, that's what you have to do with uh, combating the the size of the goalie equipment. So, yeah, I mean, behind the net, like uh, seeing Michigan goals and that sort of thing from the younger players. Yeah, I don't, I don't see why the Penguins couldn't try more of that, especially with the talent that they have in their forward group with Crosby, Malkin, Gensel. Those guys are more than capable of attempting those kinds of plays uh, than you know maybe your typical bottom six mucker grinder would be. So I, I would, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to see the Penguins try and set up more from Gretzky's office behind the net down in front of the goalie, because in large part, that's where the majority of your offense is going to come from anyway. So if you can get deflection goals, you know, good hand-eye coordination, puck on stick action, uh, that, that would be sign me up for it because I think the Penguins are more than capable of playing that way in, in those dirty, more physical areas down close to the goalie. Question number five for you, Robbie. This was this was a fun one from Brian, and I wanted to give it to you. Uh, if you could bring back two former players to help this current team, who would you choose? They must be active players, and you have to remove two from this roster. Brian would bring back uh, Brandon Tanev and... Jordan Stahl and remove Jeff Carter and and Danton Heinen. An honorable mention to return is Jared McCann. Well, I'm going to automatically skip right to the honorable mention, and Jared McCann uh, is number one and by far and away. This is what I mentioned uh, during the main segment, that letting him walk, or well, they didn't technically let him walk. They traded him to Toronto, who let him walk. Uh, so uh, kind of an LOL Toronto as well, I guess. But Jared McCann should never have left Pittsburgh, uh, period. He is your 3C. He is the missing piece to this roster. And they let him go for basically nothing uh, in return, unfortunately. And he is my big um, – he's my big name in this in this scenario. And he was the one that I was alluding to. Uh, when I was talking in the main segment about the question uh, in the mailbag. And I think of all the active players uh, that used to play for the Penguins, uh, 
he was young. He his number his underlying numbers were good. He does exactly what the Penguins are missing, and letting him walk was a huge mistake. So yeah, Jared McCann is my one. My two, there's a lot of good options out there. Jordan Stahl is a little too expensive for me. Um, and at McCann, 0-3-C anyway. So, I mean, overall, I mean, that kind of fixes that. Tanev, a good a good option because Tanev does a lot of what the Penguins are looking for as well. Though, you kind of do have to factor in that they were going to have to lose someone anyway. It's unfortunate it was Tanev and McCann. But um, I'm going to say I, I like the Tanev pick too because there's so much of what he does that the Penguins want in a player in this Mike Sullivan system. Uh, so the one by far and away is Jared McCann. And I think the two, just because of what he brings, uh, is Brandon Tanev from uh, my perspective. On number six, uh, again from Brian, how do we feel about the moving ads on the boards? I, I think I've just come to accept them at this point. I wasn't really a fan. I still really am not a fan of it. Some some of these moving ads can be a bit distracting, but I think I've, my eyes have just adjusted and I've kind of just tuned it out. I mean, I, I know there was a lot of uproar about it when the season started. Nobody likes change, but I think this is probably just going to become second nature, commonplace in the NHL moving forward. Uh, and if, if, if nothing else, for a glass half full kind of discussion, you know, the digital technology will probably improve and it'll be more seamless and it won't be as noticeable. So I really don't have a problem with it. I mean, it's just more advertising for the league in a league that probably needs that revenue stream anyway. So, yeah, you know, it, it is what it is. I, I don't have a problem with it compared to some of the other like more extreme takes that I saw on social media earlier in the season. Question number seven comes from Brendan. He wants you, Robbie, to predict the medalists for the World Junior Championship. Okay, so I'm going to go Homer to start. I'm going to go to the United States because, hey, you have to go to the United States, right? I mean, they've been very good in the past couple of years uh, putting together a not only competitive team but a gold medal winning team. So I'm going to go with the United States as one. The silver medal who will lose the United States in the championship game will be the host nation of Canada. And third, oh man, it's always tough to pick a bronze winner, but I'm going to go with the defending world junior champions from um, uh, from the summer, that delayed tournament, uh, to be uh, Team Finland. Um, yes, yeah, so those are my medals. I'm going to go United States, gold, Canada, silver. Uh, Finland brings home the bronze, and uh, but it should be a great tournament. Uh, if you're in the, in the United States, you can catch it on NHL Network if you have it, so I consider tuning in. Number eight, uh, where does Iceberg rank for NHL mascots, and who is better than him in your opinion? I think Iceberg— That, qu- that question is from Brendan. Oh, I, I, think, uh, I think Iceberg is a solid mascot. Um, is he in the top five? Maybe maybe the back half of the top five. As much as I don't want to, I think for the mark that he's made on pop culture, I think Gritty has to be the top NHL mascot. Uh, Bailey, the LA Kings mascot, he is a very he is a very large social media presence that I think is really fun. Uh, the the um, 
the Anaheim Ducks mascot. What I don't even know what the name of the what these mascots names actually are. It shows how much of a fan I am. But uh, the yeah the the Ducks mascot. Uh, I like the I don't know if it's a mascot the the octopus Al the octopus from the from the Detroit Red Wings. Um, but yeah, grid or iceberg is I, I would say he's probably number four, number five. Gritty is probably my number one. And um, in between Gritty and Iceberg, probably the uh, the the ones that I mentioned, the, the Detroit Al the Octopus, the the Duck from the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, who else did I mention that I'm already forgetting? Uh, let's see. I was looking at Bailey. I mentioned Bailey. Um, S.J. Sharky from the San Jose Sharks. I like that mascot. And I there's something classic about Carlton the Bear for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I'll go with that. Iceberg isn't my top pick, but he's probably he probably rounds out my my top five NHL mascots. Uh, okay, question number nine, Robbie. This one comes from Theodore Belmont. Thanks so much for reading my statement last week. Uh, well said at the end, the end of the, the discussion we had last week regarding discri- ending discrimination in hockey. Also, the Mario hate, uh, going back to a conversation we had, I think this was two weeks ago now, look at the 1989 Hart Trophy and the fact that Chris Letang has never been... This Now, if this is true, I don't know. I'd have to research it, but I'm taking Theodore at his word. The fact that Chris Letang has never been with Sidney Crosby on a Team Canada makes no sense either. So that's more of a statement from Theodore, but he submits an actual question for Robbie. Do Chris Letang, Jeff Carter, and or Phil Kessel get into the Hockey Hall of Fame? Crosby, Malkin, and Fleury will all be there, no doubt. Sergey Gonchar should be in there, too. If Gonchar was a Hab or a former 80s Oiler, he'd probably be in there for sure. So, Robbie, look at Latang, Carter, and Phil Kessel. Do any or all of those get into the Hockey Hall of Fame? Um, I don't think Carter will. I just don't think the career stats are going to be there. He has the two cups, but he doesn't have any really individual honors uh, to go with that. Kessel is a very interesting case because... Obviously, you have the <coughs> the Iron Man streak, but if you're considering that, you have to, I think, then put Keith End on that conversation. And I, I don't know how you put one in and not the other, though Kessel does have maybe the scoring stats in the Cups. So I think Kessel's an interesting case. And Latang, I think Latang is a Hall very good player. I don't know if he doesn't. He'll probably not win a Norris in his career. He does have a uh, a finalist on there. He's never won a Norris, though, unless he can uh, get one here at the, in the uh, sunset of his career, which would not be unheard of for that award uh, for defensemen. But I, I do think Gonchar is going to get in either in this class or the next class, uh, 2023 or 2024. So he will get in at some point, I believe. As for those three, I think the best bet is Phil Kessel. I think... If I was ranking them one to three, it would go Kessel, Latang, Carter. And I just don't see it for uh, Carter uh, without any individual accolades. Uh, Latang, 
if he can get a Norris, I think he's in. The same the same thing was kind of like Flurry. He's obviously going to end his career like second in all time wins. He has his Vesna, three Stanley Cups. Flurry, you can argue uh, the the validity of goalie wins as a individual stat, but guess what? The people that are voting love that kind of stuff. Um, he's Canadian, whether the French Canadian doesn't matter. Like we discussed last week uh, with here, he has the Vesna flurry and he's a well-liked guy. Uh, Fleury's getting into the hall of fame. Um, and I think it'll even be weighted that he led that, that expansion Vegas team, uh, to the final in its first year. So that's going to be taken in as well. Uh, as for, uh, those other three that were mentioned, yeah, my rankings would be in terms of chances would be Kessel one, Latang two, Carter three. Uh, but the second two, Latang and Carter, would definitely have some more work to do. Uh Kessel is just a very interesting um kind of uh, case. He does have more of the individual stats, um, but how much is that Iron Man streak weighed? Uh, we'll find out. Number ten, again Theodore is his last question. Uh, what's your favorite single goal from this Crosby era? Mine is Talbot's second goal in Game 7 of the 2009 final to make it 2-0. It was the moment I knew Pittsburgh was going to win the Stanley Cup. That moment moment is forever etched in my heart and soul. I didn't have to do too much heavy thinking about this. For me, it was Patrick Hornquist's Stanley Cup winning goal in 2017. Only because I have... I, much like Theodore has nostalgia for for his for Talbot's goal, I was in PPG Paints Arena. They were doing the Penguins were hosting a Stanley Cup watch party for Game Six, and everyone came and we were watching it on the Penguins big screen in there in the arena. And when Hornquist scored that goal uh, to go up one nothing with like 90 seconds left in the third period, that place erupted and I was one of the thousands that erupted with them and just seeing that atmosphere knowing that they were 90 seconds away from eventually repeating uh, the first repeat Stanley Cup champion in the salary cap era you know that was to me that was this this cementation if that's a word I just made it up the cementation or the cementing of the the legacy of Sidney Crosby the Crosby Malkin era all of those guys that that was it right there, and I think eventually they'd get they'd get the second goal. I think they'd win they'd win that game two nothing over Nashville. But that Hornquist goal where he banks it off of Pecorine with about ninety seconds left, that 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 goal I'll always remember where I was watching it, and yeah, just like Theodore has love for Talbot's goal, that that's a goal that I will always always cherish. Uh, question number 11 for you, Robbie. Last question comes from Linus J. Quite a revenge year for Marcus Pedersen, right? From being named by the fans, at least, to being the top trading asset or trading option to now becoming a consistent starter and always delivering solid performances. Yeah, I mean, incredible season so far from Marcus Pedersen. And I was one of the ones that thought he was on the trading block, but... Kudos to Ron Hextall for hanging on to him. I guess it was kind of a, if you look at it, a Marino or Pedersen situation in the end. Uh, and they went with Marino. Probably he, he was a little bit younger. Um, 
he, so he had maybe a little more value than Pedersen, I'd say. Um, and he had at one point shown a little more offensive game. So it, if you look at it that way, it kind of makes sense that he was never moved. But kudos to Ron Hextall for holding on to him. And kudos to Marcus Pedersen. Even last year, he was a healthy scratch in the second half of the year a couple times. And it wasn't always smooth sailing here in Pittsburgh for him. But he stuck it out. And this wasn't the first offseason that he was kind of uh, a trade bait among uh, the fan base. So uh, big kudos to Marcus Pedersen uh, for doing what um, he's done this year. Uh, and he's filled in admirably. Uh, when guys have gone down, he's a very, and even throughout his career, for as much as we talk about the Penguins injuries, Marcus Pedersen has been a a healthy, uh, a, a pretty healthy guy. So uh, we'll knock on wood for that one. Um, but no, I you got to give massive credit to Marcus Pedersen this season. A huge, uh, huge season from him. Uh, and has been such a key component to um that blue line, and maybe he is a a Brian Dumoulin type replacement. Um, he does a lot of what Dumoulin does. Uh, he doesn't score, but he's great defensively. Uh, so maybe he kind of takes over that role as Dumoulin more than likely uh, exits out here after this season. So yeah, yeah, wait and see on that exactly. But yeah, huge credit to uh, Marcus Pedersen for the season he's putting together, and huge credit to. Uh, Ron Hextall for uh, holding on to him and seeing that uh, there was still much value in keeping him around. All right, Robbie. Well, we got through another big mailbag, and uh, that will do it for the final Pensburg podcast of 2022. Uh, happy holidays and Merry Christmas to you, Robbie, and to all of the listeners out there to whatever holiday it is that you celebrate uh, we will be back. Like I said, we will be back at the start of January for the first Pensburg podcast of 2023. But until then, I have been Garrett Bahanna for Robbie Noggle. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Pensburg podcast. And we will see all of you right back here this time next year in the start of 2023. So we'll see you then.